start the word. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Amen. Lord, we thank you so much for this day you've given us. Lord, the chance to come together and, and understand and realize that your love never fails. It never gives up. It never runs out on us. Lord, I know that we're all in different situations in our life right now. Lord, I know that we all have different circumstances, but I pray that your love would just flow in this place. Lord, that we would just feel it. Lord, that we would uh, take us out of uh, the, that, that mental place that we're in sometimes. Lord, that we would just understand that your love never fails. It never gives up. It never runs out on us. Lord, I pray over the message this morning. Lord, as it, as it goes out, Lord, that it would reach the hearts of those who are here, those who are listening. Lord, as we look at the courage of Elijah and what it leads to and, and where it leads to, Lord, I just pray that we would be encouraged. Lord, we thank you and praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're continuing in our series on profiles and courage, and we're continuing in our study of Elijah. We're going to study two people this morning, well, the first being Elijah and the second being Elisha. So Elijah is the main prophet, and Elisha is his student. It's his assistant. It's the, he's the teacher, and the student is next to him. But when we left last week, we had just gotten into what happened at Naboth's vineyard. Do you remember that? We talked about what happened for, to Naboth. Long story short, Ahab wanted a vegetable garden. I kid you not. He just wanted a vegetable garden. He wanted Naboth's vineyard to plant his vegetable garden. He went to Naboth and said, I want your vegetable garden. Naboth said, I don't think so, Jack. I don't think so. It's been in my family for years and years and years. I'm not giving it up to you. And what did Ahab do? Doug, I know you remember. Ask Steve. Steve, what did Naboth do? Or what did Ahab do? He cried. He cried like a little baby. Didn't he? Remember? <laughs> it was Steve's vineyard? No, I don't remember that now. <laughs> Ahab wanted the vegetable garden. Naboth wouldn't, wouldn't give it to him. Ahab throws a tantrum. I mean just a tantrum. Just a crying, whining, pouting, Going, he won't eat anymore. You ever have a kid that won't eat? Just a toddler. Just <laughs> you ever have that? How many, how many parents have toddlers right now? None? Few? Few? How many parents have had toddlers at all? Few more? Have you ever, like, when the kid starts crying and he's crying so hard he can't breathe? That's Ahab, Ahab is doing that. He's throwing a tantrum. He's pouting all day long. And Jezebel says this to him. Go to the slide 10. And she says this. Why are you so sullen? Why won't you eat? And he answered her. Because I said to Naboth the Jezreelite. And pretend that. Read it like he's crying. Read it like he's just crying like a baby. Because I said to Naboth the Jezreelite, sell me your vineyard. And if you prefer, I'll give you another vineyard in this place. But he said, I will not give you my vineyard. I will not give you my vineyard. And she responds in this way. Go to slide 11. Jezebel, his wife, said, Is this how you act as king over Israel? Grow up. Get up and eat. Cheer up. I will get you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. Keep in mind, Jezebel is a manipulative, horrible woman. She goes on to Naboth and sets him up. 
she goes and sets him up, and she goes to kill him. Go to the next slide. It says this. So she, Jezebel, wrote letters in Ahab's name, placed his seal on them, the seal of the king, and sent them to the elders and nobles who lived in Naboth's city within him. With him. In those letters she wrote this. Proclaim a day of fasting and seat Naboth in a prominent place among the people. But seat two scoundrels opposite him and have them bring charges that he has cursed both man, both God and the king. Then take him out and stone him to death. Naboth doesn't want to give up his vineyard. Let's set him up. Then stone him to death. I don't know if you've ever... uh, heard about what, you know, when we think about stoning somebody, when we think about what it means to stone somebody, a lot of times when I was younger, you just think, well, they just grab a stone and they they would chuck it at them until so many stones hurt, you know, and you bleed out probably. That's not exactly how it went. What would happen is when they would stone somebody, they would dig a hole and they would put that person in that hole down to his head. And they would cover up that hole to where just his head is there. And then they would find the largest, sharpest rocks they could find. And they would hurl them at his head until he was bludgeoned to death. Let's let's go and do this to Naboth. Let's proclaim the day of fasting. Seat him in a prominent place among the people. Tell people that he has cursed both God and the king. And then we're going to take him out and we're going to stone him. We're going to kill him. We're going to murder him. And they do it. They do it. Naboth is killed. Naboth is set up. He's killed. Jezebel is successful. She tells Ahab, she says, hey, guess what? Naboth's Naboth's vineyard, it's, it's free now. He's gone. You can take it. So Ahab goes and takes his land. You say, well, what's the point of this? The man was the king of Israel. He had virtually everything he could want, everything that he could desire. He could have put the vegetable garden in any other place, but no, he wanted what wasn't his. His greed overtook him. And then he used Jezebel's manipulation to kill Naboth. And now it's time for this this grotesque act of violence and murder. And the Lord... It's saying now is the time to act. And it goes like this. Go to verse, uh, yeah. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite. Go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, who rules in Samaria. He is now in Naboth's vineyard, where he has gone to take possession of it. Say to him these words. This is what the Lord says. Have you not murdered a man and seized his property? Then say to him, this is what the Lord says. In the place where the dogs licked up Naboth's blood, dogs will lick up your blood. Yes, yours. I want to apologize in advance that this sermon is going to contain a lot of graphic violence. This sermon is going to contain a lot of graphic content because I tell you, when when you go against the word of the Lord, when you start to go against the Lord's people, there are consequences to it. I tell you this because we're going to see some pretty gruesome things. 
This is what the Lord says. In the place where the dogs licked up Naboth's blood, dogs will lick up your blood. Yes, yours. Elijah goes to Ahab, and he tells Ahab this. And Ahab's response here is kind of strange. Knowing Ahab, as we already do, he's this crybaby, he's this kind of full of himself person, full of greed, full of rage, married to this manipulator. You would think that when Elijah comes and says this to him, his response would probably be that he would laugh in the face of the prophet. His response would probably be like, okay, yeah, sure. But Ahab's response here is strange. Go to the next slide. It says this. Ahab said to Elijah, so you have found me, my enemy. I have found you because your soldiers, Elijah answered, because you have sold yourself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord. I'm going to bring disaster on you. I will wipe out your descendants and cut off, every, cut off from Ahab every last male in Israel, slave or free. And also concerning Jezebel, the Lord says, dogs will devour her by the wall of Jezreel. Dogs will devour her. And then it goes on to this. His response here is strange. It's not what you expect. When Ahab heard these words, he tore his clothes. He put on sackcloth and he fasted. He lay in sackcloth and went around meekly. What is another? The other word for this is he came to a place of humility. He came to a place of repentance. It's strange. You you wouldn't think that Ahab, this king of Israel who had done so much to manipulate people, who had done so much to the people of Israel, who had murdered prophets, who had manipulated his way into so many different things, you wouldn't think his response would be this way. But when he heard these words, he tore his clothes. I don't know if you've ever been in the place to where you just feel the, the, the judgment of God on you. Where you feel just the judgment of just, just, I am lost in my sin. I am lost in my shame. There's not, can I do anything to get back to God in my life? I don't know if you've ever been in the place to where Tears are flowing down your face and, and, and you start to pull at your clothes and, and things start to rip and you're just in a place of desperation. This is the place that Ahab is at. He tore his clothes. He puts on sackcloth. He, he fasts. He goes without food. He, he lay in sackcloth and he walked around meekly. He walked around with humility. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. And he said this, Have you noticed how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself, I will not bring this disaster in his day. But I will bring it on his house in the days of his son. Keep in mind, we're talking about Old Testament. Salvation hasn't come yet. Christ hasn't come. He says, there will be consequences for his sin, but the consequences aren't going to happen right now. He has given himself 
some more time. God shows grace here. His sin, the Ahab's sins are great and they will be answered for, but not today. Ahab shows God the only thing we haven't seen until now, and that's just a little bit of humility. We don't actually hear any more about the evil that Ahab does for many years. It's the end of this chapter, and in the next chapter, uh, he goes to war. He goes to war despite the warnings of a prophet named Micaiah. There's a prophet named Micaiah. He warns Ahab not to go to war. Ahab, you know, he, he basically ignores him. In fact, he ignores him and puts him in jail. So he does this. He says, okay, this Micaiah, he's told me I shouldn't go to war. When, when the king went to war, he went on a chariot. When the king went to war, he went not just on a chariot because soldiers were in chariots, but he went dressed as the king. He dressed in priestly, uh, kingly robes. So he said this, I'm going to dress as a normal soldier. I'm going to go to war, but I'm going to dress as a normal soldier. So they won't know that I'm the king. The Bible says that a random shooter shot an arrow and struck him. That a random shooter shot a random arrow and it struck him. And he stays up in his chariot, but blood is bleeding all over the floor of this chariot. Can you imagine the picture? Blood is bleeding. He's, he's bleeding everywhere. He stays up in the chariot, but he's dying. And here's what happens. They take the chariot to Samaria, the land of Naboth's vineyard. And it's here they wash the blood from it. And it's here the dogs come to lick it up. You say, Pastor David, that's, that's gruesome. Not quite yet. We're going to get to gruesome in a second. Okay? Are you ready for it? <laughs> Are you ready for it? Come on, we live in 2017. I know all you people like the, the gruesome stuff. Some of you don't. That's good. <laughs> There's a crowd over here. <laughs> Fourteen years later, Ahab is dead. What happens to Jezebel? Fourteen years later, Jezebel is still alive. You say, Pastor David, this is pretty, this is pretty, uh, uh, this isn't really like lifting my spirits up this morning. You're, I'm just going to be honest with you. We're going to get a little bit lower before we go higher. Okay? It's going to get a little more gruesome before we start to be lifted up. Fourteen years later, God has appointed a new king. This new king is named Jehu. Jehu. The account is given in 2 Kings chapter 9. And he has been appointed king by Elijah's apprentice, who is named Elisha. I don't want there to be confusion, but there's Elijah and Elisha. I know there's <laughs> very similar. His name is Elisha. He's appointed Jehu as the king of Israel. Elisha gives the Lord's command to Jehu to utterly destroy every part of Ahab's family, including Jezebel. 
So we read the account here. Go to the next slide. Then Jehu went to Jezreel. Now, by this time, Jezebel had probably heard that they were after her. Most theologians will say she knew that her people were being slaughtered. And her response is not to run and hide. No, no, this is Jezebel we're talking about. This is Jezebel we're talking about. When Jezebel heard about it, she put on eye makeup. She arranged her hair and looked out of the window. Imagine the arrogance of this woman. Imagine the arrogance of this Jezebel. As Jehu entered the gate, she asked, Have you come in peace, you Zimri, you murderer of your master? He looked up at the window and called out. I love this. Jehu, the king of Israel, looks up at the window. Jezebel is looking down at him. He says, who's on my side? Who? Two or three eunuchs look down at him. Throw her down, Jehu said. Throw her down. Eunuchs would have been assistants. They would have been slave assistants usually. So you're up in this room. It's you and two or three other guys. And Jezebel is at this window. And from from outside, you hear this voice saying, who is on my side? Who? And they look down at him. And Jehu said, throw her down. So they threw her down. They picked her up and threw her out the window. And some of her blood spattered the wall and the horses as they trampled her underfoot. Do you remember how I told you it was going to get a little more gruesome? The blood spattered the wall. She was full of herself to the end. She couldn't manipulate herself out of God's judgment. She just couldn't do it. Her sin would be answered for. Now we see now what happens to Ahab. Ahab is killed in war and the dogs lick up his blood. And then, uh, go to the next slide. It says this with Jezebel. By now she's been trampled, keep in mind. Her blood has spattered the wall, it spattered the horses. Jehu went in and ate and drank. And then he said this, take care of that cursed woman, he said, and bury her, for she was a king's daughter. She was a king's daughter. She's dead. She's a cursed woman, but we're still going to honor her by burying her in the right way. But when they went out to bury her, they found nothing except her skull, her feet, and her hands. They went back and told Jehu, who said, This is the word of the Lord that was spoken through his servant Elijah the Tishbite. On the plot of ground at Jezreel, dogs will devour Jezebel's flesh. Jezebel's body will be like dung on the ground. How many know what that means? Come on. There's other words for it. We don't need to go into them. Right, Gary? (laughs) Her body will be like dung on the ground. Her body will be whatever the dogs leave over. They've devoured her body. There's nothing there but a skull and hands and feet. So No one will be able to say 
This is Jezebel. What a gruesome death. What a gruesome death. The dogs devour her. She's trampled by horses. Ahab is shot in war. He bleeds out on his chariot. They wash it, and the dogs lick up the blood at Naboth's vineyard. What a gruesome way to die. What, what a gruesome... Man, our sin leads us down some nasty places. Our sin leads us to some nasty places. And a lot of times we think we can avoid God's judgment. We can avoid God's judgment with forgiveness and and repentance. And the blood of Christ, we thank Him for forgiveness. We're going to take communion a little bit later. and We thank Him for His body and His blood. But how many times do we go through life just saying, well, I'm just going to do it my way. I'm just going to do it my way, and wherever the road leads me is where it leads me. We see what happens to Ahab. We see what happens to Jezebel. But now, see, everyone's down now. Everyone's down because it's pretty gruesome. It's pretty nasty. Now it's time to get lifted up. Is that okay? Now, now it's time to get lifted. Is that okay? Amen. Doug, give me a shout. Doug, give me a shout. All right. <laughs> Doug's like, I got to stop sitting here. <laughs> really? <laughs> For us to see what happens to Elijah, I mean, what happened? We're not going to end. We're not going to end the sermon with like, I mean, Jezebel becoming puppy chow, right? <laughs> Come on. I mean, we're not going to end the sermon with her becoming puppy chow. We're going we're gonna to end the sermon on a good note. So, We see what happens to Ahab. We see what happens to Jezebel. What happens to Elijah? What happens to Elijah? We we begin to see the conclusion of Elijah at the beginning of 2 Kings in chapter 2. It says this. Go to the next slide. 2 Kings chapter 2 and start with verse 1. This is where we're going to get really in-depth into chapter 2. It says this. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. It's kind of a spoiler alert, because the first thing we see is how it will end. The first thing we're told about is how it will end. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, this is what we know is going to happen. Just as he's about to, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Leading up to this event, Elijah is traveling with his student, Elisha. And they're traveling from this place called Gilgal. This is the beginning of a narrative where we see Elijah being sent to various places. He gets sent to, he's at Gilgal. He gets sent to a place called Bethel. He gets sent to another place called Jericho. He's being sent to these places by the Holy Spirit. What had happened there? Uh, This could be considered Elijah's farewell tour. Elijah knows it's the end. This could be considered his farewell tour. These places of Gilgal and Bethel and Jericho, these are places where he has set up what were called schools of the prophets. These schools of the prophets that he had set up. And what we know by reading ahead is that these schools, uh, it seems that he had at least established two or three of them. 
it seems that in each location there were at least 50 students. Bethel, Jericho, Gilgal. Before departing for Bethel, Elijah gives his student, Elisha, some instruction. Before departing, he says, the Lord is sending me to Bethel. The Lord is sending me there, so I need you to stay here. He says this, Elijah said to Elisha, stay here. The Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elijah said these words. Elisha said these words. I'm going to get it mixed up. As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. Elijah here is fully aware that his time is coming up. It seems that he wants some solitude. It seems that, okay, I'm going on this journey from Gilgal to Bethel, and on my way there, I just want to be alone. He knows his time is coming to an end. He, he wants probably some time to reflect. He probably wants some personal time. But Elisha says, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. What, what Elijah seems unaware of is that Elisha, his student, has also received by revelation that it's time for Elijah to go. The Lord made him aware of it. He gave him direction for it. So now, even when Elijah says, stay here, the Lord has sent me, Elisha says, whoa, wait a second. As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not stay here. I will go with you. See, he's listening to a command that's higher than his teacher. He's listening to a command that's higher than his master. He's listening to the command of the Lord and King. Amen? But it wasn't just that. You see, he had great affection for his teacher. He had, they were close. Elijah and Elisha, they were, they were close. They were, they were compadres. Right? Is that how you say it? <laughs> they were together. They were, they were probably best buds. Right? They were, I mean, they went, they were, they were, when you saw Elijah, you saw Elisha. When you saw Elisha, you saw Elijah. Steve, you got a best friend? When, when people see where, where Steve is, this, this person is. Who's your best friend? You better say your wife, man. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, hallelujah, his wife. Praise the Lord. You say, he was going to say Gary. He was going to say Gary. <laughs> Please say your wife. <laughs> you ever see uh, somebody where you go, well, when this person's there, this other person's there. They're just connected. Elijah and Elisha, they're connected. See, it's because of this that Elisha knew. Elisha knew that these were the final moments. They were precious. He needed to be there. As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. These were precious moments. These were the last he was going to spend with his friend. What we see next is that Elijah's departure isn't just revealed to Elisha, 
it's also revealed to the school of prophets. They go to the school of prophets at Bethel, and 50 of these guys come out, and they seem to all know that Elijah is going to be going too. Go to the next slide. It says this. The company of prophets at Bethel came out to Elisha and asked, asked this question. Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? I like, I like Elisha's response. Yeah, I know. So be quiet. I like that response. Yeah, I know. We, you know, sometimes when we read the Bible, we just kind of read through it. So you can't just read the Bible. You have to read the Bible. Amen? We can't just read it and just, okay, yep, yeah, next page. Here we go. Next chapter. Got through, the, got through it this way. No, read into the humanity of it. Do you know the Lord is going to take your master from you? Will you shut up? I know. I get it. I'm already upset about it. I'm already worried. My friend's friend's leaving. I already know. You don't have to remind me. There seems to be a little bit of frustration in Elisha's voice. But more than that, he's saying this. I like that. He says, be quiet. More than that, he says this. Don't ruin the sacredness of this moment. He's saying these words, be at peace. Be quiet. Don't ruin this moment with speech. Pastor and hymn writer James Orr says these words, There is a time to speak and a time to be silent. And this was the hour for silence. Speech would jar on the solemnness of the occasion. The deeper experiences of life and God are to be meditated upon rather than much spoken about. Elisha's words here are full of wisdom. Be quiet. Keep your peace. Don't make a spectacle out of this. How many know there's times in our life when we don't need speeches? How many know there's times in our life where we don't need words, we just need silence? How many know there's times in our faith when the Holy Spirit is moving where I don't need words, I don't need music, I don't need anything but just to rest in His presence? Amen? There's sometimes where silence is the key. Yes, I know, Elisha replied. Now be quiet. Then we see the scene played out again. Go to the next slide. Then Elijah said to him, stay here, Elisha. The Lord has sent me to Jericho. Now they've gone from Gilgal to Bethel. They're in Bethel, and he says, the Lord is sending me to Jericho. And he replied, as surely as the Lord lives, and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went to Jericho. And the company of prophets at Jericho went up to Elisha and asked him, do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know. So be quiet. The same scene plays out at Bethel. In Jericho. Then go to the next slide. And Elisha said to him again, Stay here. The Lord has sent me to the Jordan. The Jordan River is what he's referring to. The Lord is sending me there. And he replies, 
in the way that we expect him to reply. As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. And so the two of them walked on. How many know there's something to be said for perseverance? There's something to be said for perseverance. There's something in that moment where, where you just know you have to push through. Elisha, stay here. No, no, I'm going with you. Elisha, stay here. No, no, as the Lord lives and as you live, I'm going with you. Elisha, stay here. No. No, there's something about to happen here. You can feel it in the atmosphere. I'm not going to miss this. I'm not going to miss this. You can't deter me. You can't detour me. You can't lure me away. You can't even command me. My directions are from the Lord, and so I'm doing what the Lord has commanded me to do. Amen? There's, remember, at one point in the Old Testament, I don't know, I don't think we've covered this quite yet. But Jacob, in the Old Testament, wrestled with an angel. And the angel kept saying, let me go, let me go, let me go. And Jacob just kept holding on to him. I will not let you go until you bless me. I will not release you until you bless me. There is a point where you just say, God, I am going forward. I am persevering. It doesn't matter what comes against me. It doesn't matter what my family says. My family might say I'm a loser. I shouldn't do it. This isn't part of it. Why are you doing this? And I have to go forward knowing that this is what God has called me to do. Amen? There's something to be said for perseverance. There's something to be said for Elisha, stay here. No, I don't think so. As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So the two of them walked on. And then we see what happens in Jordan. Go to the next slide. Fifty men from the company of the prophets went and stood at a distance. They're following him. They're following Elijah and Elisha. They're following and they stood at a distance facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan, at the Jordan River. And here's what happens. Elijah takes his cloak, takes his coat, and he rolled it up and strikes the water with it. And the water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. Understand the Jordan is a large river. This isn't a creek bed we're talking about. It's not just something, well, you know, I get a little bit of water in here and just pass right over. No, this is a large river. Where Elijah's going, where Elisha's going, there's, I mean, if, 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 there, if the river isn't clear, it's going to be a hard time to get there. So he takes, takes his cloak. When theologians talk about this, they say this. Moses had a staff. Elijah had a cloak. What is this? It's the Lord's anointing. We see that the power of God not only rested upon Elijah, but upon his cloak as well. This tangible, touchable thing that's soaked in God's power. 
this tangible, touchable thing that's soaked in the power of God. You say, Pastor David, where is, is there biblical precedent for this? That where the anointing was in the object, this burden-removing, yoke-destroying power of God was on the object. Not only is it shown in Moses' staff, not only is it shown in Elijah's cloak, it's also shown when Paul lays hands on aprons and says, take them to the sick. That the anointed power of God was in this object. And we'll see the significance of this in just a moment. The water divided to the left, to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. Now you have the 50, you have the prophets of the school are still watching. They're still facing where they're at. They cross over on dry ground. Now they're on the other side of the Jordan, and we see this. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me. What can I do for you before I am taken from you? Tell me. What can I do for you before I'm taken from you? And Elisha replied with this, Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. Now, I read one commentary where they said, was it greed? I mean, from Elisha's standpoint, was it greed? And the answer is no, it wasn't greed. There's no greediness we see here from Elisha. What we see is what's called sonship. Sonship. You see, in the Old Testament, they had the blessing of the firstborn. Part of the blessing of the firstborn was what was called a double portion. The blessing of the firstborn is is the double portion. Let me take what you've done and build on it. For instance, Doug, I'm not picking on you, I promise. Which one was born first? Evan or Bryce? Evan? What's up, man? Sorry, Bryce. That's how it goes, man. (laughs) Should have persevered. I don't know. (laughs) For Doug to bless Evan with a double portion would be to say that you have everything of mine and everything of yours. That what you're building is not just on your own, but you're building what I've helped create for you. I'm, I'm building you a legacy. Do you understand? That it's not about greed. When he asks for a double portion, he's not, he's not talking about things. He's talking about sonship. He's talking about, Elijah, I see you as my spiritual father. Elijah, I see you as my daddy, my Abba. You're leaving What can you give me? Let me be your firstborn. Let me be considered your son. Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. Let me carry your legacy with my own. (laughs) And Elijah says this. Go to the next slide. 
you have asked a difficult thing, Elijah said. Yet if you see me when I am taken from you, it will be yours. Otherwise, it will not. Elijah knows that this isn't his to give. It's only God's. It's not his to give. It's only God's. So he places the decision in God's hands. He says, if you're with me, if you see me when I'm taken from you, it will be yours. Otherwise, it will not. I mean, God could have intervened right there. If it was God's will, then it's God's will. But if it's not, it's not. But here's where we get into it. Immediately, something happens. Go to the next slide. As they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. And Elisha saw this and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw him no more. Then he took hold of his garment and tore it in two. Can you imagine the picture? We're walking along and talking together. Suddenly, a chariot of fire, horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Have you ever been at that place where you lose somebody? And you're both happy and sad at the same time. I mean, you're, you're, you're joyous and devastated at the same time. Elisha saw this and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw him no more. Then he took a hold of his garment and tore it in two. It speaks of devastation. It speaks of my father, my father. I'm going to miss you. Elisha then picked up Elijah's cloak that had fallen from him. Here's where this is, this is, this is intense. He's picking up what's called the mantle of the anointing. He's picking up this mantle. He has seen Elijah go. And what's been promised to him now from God is a double portion of the anointing, a double portion of his spirit. The mantle of Elijah is now also upon the anointing of Elisha. He goes and stands at the banks of the Jordan. Keeping in mind that those prophets are still watching. And this happens next. He takes the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and struck the water with it. And he says these words, and I love this. If you picture a man, he comes to the banks of the river and he has the cloak with him. And he's about to strike the water and he says these words. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And he strikes the water And it divided right and left. And he walks over on dry ground. And the company of prophets from Jericho who were watching, 
said these things. The spirit of Elijah is resting upon Elisha. It's the highest compliment a father can receive. It's the highest compliment a son can receive. The spirit of Elijah is resting on Elisha. If you're a father, raise your hand. I love it when, you know, my son, sometimes he'll do things. It's me. <laughs> he'll do things where it's, it's, it's me. Jackie's like, yeah. He'll make a face. He'll cry or something like that's me. That's right. There's times, not, I'm not, we're not talking about just a resemblance of. We're not talking about just a resemblance of, well, you know, they kind of look alike. No, 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 no. The spirit of Elijah is resting upon Elisha. I know for a fact, Steve, what a high honor and compliment it would be to hear the spirit of Steve is resting upon Jonathan. The spirit of Doug is resting upon Evan and Bryce. The spirit of the father is resting upon the son. It's not just the power of the father. Now it's the power of the father and the power of the son. There is a legacy there. And they went out to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. And then something kind of funny happens. It's kind of funny. These are, these are, you know, they see the spirit of Elijah on Elisha. They have the revelation that Elijah was going to go today. But they still wanted proof. Go to the next slide. It says this. Look, they said, we, your servants, have 50 able men. Let them go and look for your master. Perhaps the spirit of the Lord has picked them up and put them down on some mountain or in some valley. I mean, let's go look for them. Well, they got the, I don't understand this. They got the revelation that Elijah was going to go today. I mean, they went to Elisha earlier, and they said, don't you know your master's going to go today? And Elisha said, shut up. I don't need to hear it. And now it happens, and they can't believe it. Now it happens, and they say, let us go and look for your master. Maybe the Spirit of the Lord picked him up and put him on a mountain somewhere. And Elisha says, no, come on. Do not send them. But they persisted until he was too embarrassed to refuse. So he said, okay, send them. And they sent 50 men who searched for three days, but they did not find him. And when they returned to Elisha, who was staying in Jericho, he said to them, didn't I tell you not to go? Didn't I tell you not to go? You're not going to find him. He's gone. Didn't I tell you not to go? Elisha carried his anointing. Elijah was gone. It was his work now. You know, Elijah's life is filled with courage. We see here, didn't I tell you not to go? He's gone. Elijah's gone. This life that was lived, this life that was lived, uh, he went up against Ahab. He went up against Jezebel. He wasn't always successful. 
one of the reasons I love Elijah is that it doesn't just depict a man of great faith. It doesn't just depict someone who always gets it right, who always follows the Lord's direction, who always goes down the right path. It depicts somebody who, who also messes up. It depicts somebody who struggles with doubt and struggles with fear. It depicts somebody that I can relate to. It's one of the reasons I love Elijah in that if God can use him, he can use me. Amen? He isn't re- perfection isn't required here. It marks his humanity. I can relate to that. Let's pray. Lord, as we end the series on Elijah, Lord, I pray that we would be reminded of his courage. Lord, we've gone through now, what, five weeks of teaching on Elijah and all the things that he has accomplished in his life. All the things that he did, all the things that he accomplished, full of courage, full of, full of boldness, but also full of doubt. There was times where he acted on fear. There was times where he acted apart from your will. Lord, I've been there. We've been there. This isn't a perfect man standing before you. This isn't a perfect man promising that I've done it all the right way. But his love never fails. It never gives up. It never runs out on me. Amen. I haven't, all, I haven't done it the right way all the time. I'm going to make mistakes. I'm going to continue to make mistakes. But his love never fails. It never gives up. It never runs out on me.